Amen. You can be seated. Good morning, New City. Good morning. Grateful to have each of you here today. And for those of you who are watching online or from our Matthews location, we're grateful to be having a, an all-new city worship service this morning. Uh, typically, um, at our different locations, we have live preaching, preaching pastors. Um, but today is a little bit different. I think you'll see why. Uh, my friend Dale Hummel is with us today from Minneapolis, Minnesota. How many of you are from Minneapolis? Right. How many of you are glad you're here now and not in Minneapolis? Okay. Amen. Um, but Marcia and Dale are here with us today. They, they uh, lead a church in Minneapolis in Eden Prairie, a Wooddale church, a great church there. And Dale and I have known each other for almost 20 years, and he'll share a little bit of that story. Um, we connected and have continued to be friends, and, and more than that, Dale's really been a great mentor for me. Learned a lot from Dale, and I'm really grateful to, uh, to continue and uh, friendship with him and, and to have you or have him uh, with us here today to share a little bit of his story. And we're in a series right now, if you're just uh, coming for the first time at New City, we're in a series called Train Station. It's been a really important series for us as we talk about a journey to the mind of Christ and the power of our thoughts in terms of our discipleship and, and following Jesus. And Dale's going to talk about that today and sharing some of his story and the power of thoughts and really uh, his story with mental health and how it's integrated into his, his faith journey, which is a really, really important thing. And so um, I want to invite you to, to take notes this morning and engage with him and to give a warm New City welcome to Dr. Dale Hummel. Thank you. Thank you. It's, uh, it's a privilege to be here. And I think it's close to 15 years or so ago uh, that I spoke actually at the Matthews campus. You had just planted the church. And uh, I remember after the message, this gentleman came up and, and uh, had cartooned the entire message. And his artwork was phenomenal. And I thought, what a gift. That was kind of a fun experience to have. I appreciate Chris and Jen and their family so much. Um, I just have a lot of respect. He says he's learned from me. I've learned a lot from him. Actually, about 15 years ago, I tried to convince him to move to Chicago, where I was pastoring at the time, and uh, to join our staff because I just saw his capacity, his potential. I'm glad he stayed. And I hope you're glad he stayed as well because God is doing a good work uh, through this couple and through you as a church here in Charlotte. And I'm just very grateful that you would uh, let me be uh, here today. So thank you and very much. Thank you for the, the warm weather. It's just wonderful. I know you're all freezing, all right? But uh, my wife and I came here from eight degree weather and for the high. Uh, so this is kind of a, a warm up for us. And I have a son who lives with his family in Statesville, just up the road. He is the superintendent of a Christian school up there. So uh, we tend to get here more often than we used to now. Um, that's because of grandkids, right? Um, as we get started today, though, I want to let you know that uh, the message I'm, I'm sharing with you is really meant to set up a lot of application uh, in a book that I wrote. It's a very short, small book called Reset. It tells my story, and it will give you the application of a lot of what I'm going to say. Now, having said that, uh, let me begin by a, a statement that is true about everybody in this room. And just before I share that with you, I want to make you a promise, okay? It's always dangerous when speakers and pastors make you promises, but I'm going to do that. And the promise I have to you is this, that if you'll listen if you'll learn and apply what I'm about to share with you and then what I put in the book, it will lead you to a steady state 
of a peace of mind. How many of you could use a peace of mind? Not just once in a while, but like you just wish you could have a peace of mind for most of the day and most of the night for the rest of your life. Wouldn't that be great? Well, I promise you, if you will listen, learn, and apply, that'll happen. It's happening to me. It's a process, and I'm going to share with you a little bit about that. Now, here's the, here's the bad news that I want to share with you. This is the, the, the statement that's true about everybody in this room, young or old or in between. And that is that every last one of us was born into this world with mental illness. Now, if you've been officially diagnosed, like I have, with a form of mental illness, I want you to know that I'm not making light of that. But the thing I've discovered is that all of us, to a certain degree, are insane. That was encouraging, wasn't it? Aren't you glad you came today? I don't know you well enough. If I did, I'd say, look at the person next to you and say you're insane. But anyway, uh, that's, that's the reality of it. We have a broken mind. We have a broken brain. And you might be asking, well, how do you know that? And, and, and how can that be true? And to answer that question, I want to take you back to the beginning. And that means to the book of Genesis, to the beginning of our whole story. And unlike the, the man at Matthew's campus who did the doodling and did it so well, my artwork is not very good, and I'm, I'm about to draw today. And you'll find out why I don't have a degree in art, okay? But what I'd like you to do as part of the listening, learning, applying is I'd like you to draw with me. At uh, the church where I serve, we call it Drawing with Dale, all right? So I want you to draw with me. Get your Crayolas out and your, your colored pencils that I'm sure you bring every Sunday to church and uh, I just want you to, to draw this out with me. We're going to go back to the beginning. And I'm going to start here. And I'm just going to begin by writing the name of God. God has always been. He already was in the very beginning. He has no beginning. He has no end. But at some point in time, he created humanity. And God started out and he created this guy whose name was? Adam, all right? Adam, okay, so this is going to be Adam. And we all know that in the beginning, when God created Adam, he created him in perfection, and that's why he had no hair on his head, all right? Okay? <laughs> hair is part of the sin curse, all right? <laughs> and the further you go in holiness, the less hair you have. I don't think you believe that, but anyway. And then out of the man, he took a rib, and he created this beautiful creature, I'm going to give her a skirt because it's Sunday morning, all right, uh, called the woman, all right? You can already tell I'm a poor artist, okay? And she had a mind as well and a brain. Now, I'll explain the difference between mind and brain a little bit. So in the beginning, God is the one who informs the minds of his creation, Adam and Eve. What I mean by that is none of us, none of us are born thinking for ourselves, None of us. Doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. None of us are born thinking for ourselves. Everything that we think about, everything that comes to our mind is from the outside in. It is other people who influence how we see ourselves, how we see God, how we see the world, how we see others. Okay? So nobody is an original in the sense that you came out of the womb and you just had all your own thoughts, all right? It's the result of your parents, what they said to you. It's the result of your peers. Your, it's the result of your siblings. It's the result of 
you know, the news, as a result of politicians, as a result of movies and theater and everything else has this huge impact on our view of life and our view of ourselves, okay? So we understand that God, in the beginning, was the only source speaking into the life of Adam, into his mind, his brain, and Eve, her mind and brain, to give them an understanding of who they were, who he was, and what the environment was all about. And so God, and I'll put T for truth, God spoke truth into their minds, into the brains. And, of course, God spoke love because God is what? God is love, the scriptures say. God is love. So everything that was being inputted, so to speak, into their mind, into their brains, about themselves, about God, about the infinite environment around them, was all coming by way of the truth that God was giving them, the love that God was passing on to them. And God saw everything that he made, and he said it was what? Good, all right? In fact, it was very good, okay? And I think, it's, I think we can say that everything that Adam and Eve saw was good, because the only thing coming to their minds was continuously good. By the way, when I talk about the mind, Dallas Willard says the mind has three components to it. He was a philosopher, a, a wonderful Christian, and he said the three components of the mind are, first of all, your thoughts. Everybody has thoughts. Your thoughts are formed into ideas. We all have ideas. And oftentimes our ideas take the shape of images or our imagination. So when you hear me talking about mind, brain today, keep that in mind, okay? Thoughts, ideas, images. In fact, researchers tell us that on any given day, at the lowest we have 25,000 thoughts, at the highest upwards to 70,000 thoughts. Don't ask me how they figure that out. That means that your brain and your mind is so incredibly busy. You have thoughts coming into your mind constantly, being stimulated by all the environment around you, the music you're listening to, the images on the internet, the things you're reading. The conversations you have, all of that's being mulled over. That's why you can go to bed at night, wrestling with a problem, wake up in the morning and have a solution for it because while you were sleeping, your brain was still at work. So there's a lot going on in your minds right now. Even as I'm speaking, there's a lot going on in each of your minds, a lot of things that are taking place, a lot of processing that's happening. Well, into the garden in Genesis chapter 3, came the serpent. I'm not a good serpent drawer, but that'll do, all right? And of course, this is the, the tool that Satan is going to use. And he comes to the woman, but listen, guys, in the Hebrew, we know the man was standing right next to her. It's not like Adam was out doing something else. He was right there. And already we see them becoming rather irresponsible. And the serpent says to the woman, hence to the man as well, did you know that, I'm paraphrasing, did you know that God is lying to you? That God actually does not speak the truth, God is not loving, but in essence, God is a liar and he's evil. He's a liar and he's evil. He's a liar and he's evil. And everything he's telling you is a lie and it's evil. You know that tree that God said you're not supposed to eat from it? lest you eat from it and you die. 
Do you understand what God's doing to you? God knows that if you eat that fruit, the reason he's saying don't eat it, because he knows if you eat that fruit, you will become just like him. Don't you want to be your own God? That is the, by the way, that is the bottom line source of all temptation, still to this very day. Every temptation you and I face is questioning God. It's questioning his goodness. It's questioning his truth. It's questioning his love. Every temptation is like that. And every temptation is saying, you need to be God. You need to be the God of your own life. And so we know what happened. Adam and Eve came. They took and they ate from the fruit. And immediately they realized they were not God. They were filled with guilt and shame. And they, you know, they tried to hide themselves until God uncovered them. And you know the rest of the story. My, my purpose is not, to, is not to exegete Genesis chapter 3, but to give you kind of a theological understanding or remind you of the theological understanding of what took place there. So as a result of this, what happens is humanity in essence, pushes God out. We think we can think for ourselves, but we know we can't. What happens is now, who's influencing the human mind? Satan. And what is Satan called? What does Jesus call him? A what? He is a liar, okay? He is a liar. And in fact, he is the father of what? He's the father of lies. And he's not good, he's evil. Do you see what he does to God? And so now it is Satan who uses this world system, because it's called the God of this world, to push into the minds of your kids, your grandkids, into your mind, into my mind, a constant 24 hours, seven day a week flood of lies and evil. And I don't have to prove it, because all you have to do is look around. And we see the result of living in a world that is influenced by the evil one. And all of that, all of that has an effect on your mind and it has an effect on my mind as well. Now, let me switch away for a few moments from theology, all right, to a little bit of uh, science as we do this. You know, I, I told you that the mind and the brain are two separate entities and there's a debate about that. And the debate is between what's called materialists and non-materialists. Materialists are people like Richard Dawkins, people who believe wholeheartedly in evolution and that there is no God. They don't believe there's a supernatural aspect to our lives. And so materialists will say that you don't have a mind and a brain, you just have a brain. And your brain creates the illusion of God. Your brain creates the illusion of the supernatural. Your brain creates the illusion of heaven. Your brain creates the illusion of hope after this life. Dawkins would say, and others like him would say, we're just machines, we're just animals. And, and we are born to live and die and that's it. And it's survival of the fittest. You got to do what's going to work best for you. Now look at how good our world is as a result of that kind of worldview. Not very good, is it? On the other hand, there's a non-materialist view. And the non-materialist view held by many Christian scientists, brilliant people, all right? You need to remember that. And even some non-Christian scientists accept the fact that there is more than just my physical brain. There's also an immaterial part of me. 
a supernatural part of me. And that's why C.S. Lewis said, you never meet somebody who's common. You never meet somebody who's just natural. Every person you meet is supernatural. You are supernatural. Because you were created by God. And you have a material part of you and an immaterial part of you. And the mind, the immaterial, and the brain, the material part, work together. Almost, it's almost like the Trinity. I want to be careful as I say that. You, know, you can't separate the Trinity. It, you know, that's why I oftentimes we'll speak of mind and brain in the same way, because they're almost inseparable. It's a, you know, the mind uses the brain. And God influences the mind, which influences the brain. Now, having said that, I want to talk to you about two modes that your brain and my brain operate in, okay? The first mode is called the focused mode. You guys have been up long enough. Let's play a little game. Remember Simon Says? How many played Simon Says as a kid? Remember how that game goes, all right? You never played Simon Says, here's how it's going to go, okay? I'm going to say Simon Says something and you are supposed to do it, okay? But only do what Simon says. Are you all okay with that? Okay. Simon says, raise your left hand. Simon says, raise your right hand. Simon says, wave your hands. Put them down. Oh, I got some of you. All right? You can stop waving. Got all of you now. <laughs> Simon didn't say stop waving. Silly little game. What's the point of it? Okay? When I tell you, you can only do what Simon says, what are you doing? You're focusing. What is Simon saying? I got to listen to that, right? It's when I don't focus, right? When I'm not really listening and tuned in, you know, that's when I forget and I put it down or whatever the game. It goes like that, right? It would be nice if most of the time we're in focused mode with our brains, our minds. The truth is, this is one of the hardest things for us to be, is to be focused. The natural state of the mind is unfocused mode. Unfocused mode. And in fact, I can tell, because I have supernatural vision, that some of you have been in unfocused mode since you got in here. <laughs> You're having a hard time listening to me. And I keep interrupting your unfocused mode at times. What we mean by the unfocused mode is we're simply saying that the human mind drifts two ways. Now, all this has huge spiritual ramifications, all right? It's just, a, it, to me, it's just sad. You'll find out why I'm talking about this. It's sad that, that as Christians, as disciples, as teachers of theology of the Word of God, we don't talk about this because the mind is such, it's, it's us, right? So, in your unfocused mode, your mind is going to drift to the past or it's going to drift to the future. It does not stay in the present. And already this morning, some of you have already been thinking about the past. Some of you, just as I said that, are thinking about the past. You're thinking about something that happened this morning on the way to church, maybe. Maybe you all didn't get along this morning when you got ready to come to church. Does that happen to you? That never happens to pastors and their families, does it, Chris? <laughs> happens all the time, right? Or you're thinking about something that happened last week. Whenever the, mode, whenever the mind is in an unfocused mode, and scientists wrestle with this, I have the answer for them, okay? 
Whenever it's in the unfocused mode, it always drifts to the negative. And, they can, and they're trying to figure out why that is. They have kind of the reasons in evolution for that, but I can tell you why it is. Go back to Genesis. Go back to sin. Our minds will go back to the past and we'll have regrets. Now, we can look back at the past and have some joyful memories. I'm not saying it's all bad, but our tendencies toward the negative. Or our minds drift to the future filled with fear and anxiety. What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen next week? What's going to happen to the balloon in the sky? We all know what happened to that. <laughs> right? It is so hard for us to live in what I would call the now, right now. And to live with a peaceful mind. But that's what God wants us to have. A friend of mine he's a, uh, was a physician at uh, Mayo, Rochester, Minnesota, a very famous clinic, and uh, now is doing kind of his own thing. He said in his research that every one of us has about 150 open files in our mind. Whether you're a child, whether you're young or you're old. What do you want to do with open files? Close them, right? That's why some of us don't sleep well at night. How many of you, how many of you struggle to sleep well besides me? Come on, raise your hands. There's nothing to be embarrassed about. A lot of us do, right? It's hard to get a good night's rest. Why? Because the minute you lay down, what does your mind do? It wants to go attend to all the open files that are from the past and that are from the future, that I got to figure out, that I got to fix, that I got to resolve. Relational open files, business open files, homework open files, and on and on it goes. So we're walking around with all this stuff. No wonder we lack true peace of mind. So all of that that I just shared with you is to uncover what we struggle with, is to say this is our mental illness that we are challenged by as adults and even as Christians. So now let's turn the corner and let's say, well, how do you, get, how do you fix this? How do you change this? How, how can I get beyond all of this? And it starts with something that you cannot do for yourself, but God has done for you and for me. And what I'm talking about is we must be, well, look at it in John chapter 3. If you were afraid I wasn't going to read from the Bible, here we go. Ready? John chapter 3, verse 3. Jesus is speaking, and he simply says, I tell you the truth. Remember lie and truth? He says, I tell you the truth. The God of this world tells you lies. I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom. And I would take that verse and say you can also apply it this way. Unless you are born again, you cannot truly have a peace of mind. You can have cognitive behavioral therapy. You can go see psychologists, psychiatrists, counselors. You can be on medication. Been there, done that. I am all for Christian counseling and Christian therapists. They've been a blessing in my life. But without Christ, it's not whole. You're still left undone. Only Christ can cause you and me to be born again. Because he takes our sin on himself and he dies our death. So we can live his life. Christ takes the judgment we deserve and that wrath is poured out on him by his Father. He's judged for me. 
He takes all of my unrighteousness on himself and we say he imputes his righteousness into us. And so I stand before God today, you stand before God today if you're born again, as though you had never sinned, you stand as though you were Jesus in the sight of the Father because he's made you, the Bible says, co-heirs with him. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome? And I got to think one half an amen. See, that's our problem. If you read to the Gospel of John, which I've been doing for the last two years, uh, Jesus says over and over and over and over again, you must believe, you must believe, you must believe. And I think a lot of us have the head knowledge of these truths, but I question, do we believe it to the heart, to where it knocks us off our feet? It should jolt us. It should leave us in awe to think that God has saved us, that God has redeemed us, that God has made us like his son and made us co-heirs so that all that is Christ is yours and mine. Isn't that awesome? Look at us, sitting right here, stone-faced, wondering what's for lunch. I hope he finishes on time. I'm going to uh, Africa this afternoon to teach about 100 pastors there next week. I mean, we all have stuff going on in our minds, places to be, things to do. And see, that's my point. My point is we don't know how to live. Oh, I lost my drawing. We don't know how to live in the now. You with me? To live in the now and be in awe in the now that God loves me, that God has chosen me regardless of my past. Isn't that awesome? Can I get an amen? All right. It is awesome. It's an awesome thing to behold. And it's going to get even more exciting. So take your Bibles and turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Well, this amazing verse. This should knock you off the chairs and out of the pews. But stay in them. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16. Paul writes and he says, And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? Who's he talking about? For we are, this is 2 Corinthians 6.16. I'm sorry, I got too excited. 2 Corinthians 6.16. And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. Love that. You are his temple. He says, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Isn't that beautiful? If you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19, there is just another verse where Paul's emphasizing the fact that you are not your own. You don't belong to yourself. That the Spirit of God has come to live in you. That's why C.S. Lewis said what I said earlier. You never meet somebody who's natural. We're all supernatural as believers because who lives in us? Christ lives in us. His Spirit God who fills up space and space cannot contain him becomes resident in your life. I don't care if you're 12 or 94. That's where he comes to live. It doesn't matter. Isn't that an awesome thing? The Spirit of God has come to indwell you and he's come to indwell me as well. Look at another passage of Scripture. It's going to get really interesting now. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Galatians 5, 16, Paul writes and he says, okay, so all this is true. He says, 
So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. So what Paul is saying, and I'll draw this out, we'll go back to a little bit of science here. Here's my attempt at drawing a brain, okay? I don't know what that is, all right? These are the sulci's in the brain. You've seen those pictures, right? Those different grooves, all right? Let's think of this as the brain. Let's think of the mind is integrated with the brain. It's the immaterial part of us. And now, as a believer, the Spirit of God has joined. Think of this as your whole self. The Spirit of God influences the mind and the brain. And Paul says there is a battle that goes on in our lives. And the battle is between trying to live without the Spirit, listening to the lies of the enemy, trying to fulfill our feelings and our desires and to please ourselves. He says there's a battle between that and listening to the Spirit of God, receiving His truth about ourselves our identity, our sexuality, etc., and then acting on that truth regardless of how I feel and regardless of what the world says about me. He says, as we learn to do that, that's when we acquire living the Spirit-filled life, which really helps me understand something Paul says over in Romans chapter 12, which scientists discovered not that long ago. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. In that passage of Scripture, Paul writes and he says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because of all that he has done for you. So, I mean, Paul's first of all starting with our bodies, right? He says, give your bodies to God because of all he's done for you and the fact that he lives in those bodies. They're his temple. Then he goes on and he says in the passage of Scripture, Let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable This is truly the way to worship him. Now, here's so important, verse 2. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. Close your ears and minds off to the God of this world and the lies that are coming out. How can I know what a lie is? I hold it up to the truth, which is the word of God. How can I know what darkness is? I hold it up to light, who is Christ. Now, look what he says. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. What's to say after that? Do you have your Bibles open? By changing the way you think. Do you know what, you know what neuroscientists call that? It's called neuroplasticity. It's one of my favorite words. You'll find out in a moment why. Let's say the word neuroplasticity together. Neuroplasticity. It used to believe, believe that you could not change your brain. Scientists now, since the 80s, one of your doctors in the last service came up and gave me the dates, <laughs> said, we now know we can change the brain by learning to cha- change our thinking. What is our thinking composed of? Thoughts, ideas, and imagination. If I can change my thoughts and my ideas and my imagination about God, about myself, about you, about the world, I, I change my mind. I'm renewed by the help and power of the Holy Spirit. And that's why I wrote the book that I did. 
because my mind was really messed up. I mean, it's still not, you know, the best it can be. It won't be till I get to heaven and neither will yours. But mine was especially messed up. And we live in a world today that messes up the minds of our kids and our grandkids. So my story is I'm an MK, missionary kid. I was born overseas in the Caribbean. Then my parents moved from there to Papua New Guinea. They were there in the real primitive days. They were the first uh, missionaries, the first Westerners to come into a group of tribes in what was called the Western Highlands. And God blessed, and, and there was a wonderful ministry there, but there's a lot of spiritual warfare, a lot of darkness, and, and a lot of immorality amongst the tribes. And one day on the mission station, there was a guy on the mission station who sexually abused me. I was about the age of six. Now, if that had been a one and done, probably could have gotten past it. But then my parents uh, returned back to the States and came here without, you know, the old saying, without a shirt on their back, very poor. And so we had to live with relatives. And one of those relatives continued to abuse me all the way until I was about junior high. First chronically and then episodically because we ended up finally having our own place to live. And then we moved away and every time we came. It's a long story. I tell you a little bit more about it in, in my book. But I want you to imagine how that, must, how that thin sliced my soul, my mind. I want you to imagine how that caused me to think about God, caused me to think about myself, caused me to think about others, caused me to think about sexuality and everything else that goes with it. It really messed my mind up, so to speak. Not only that, but um, my parents uh, suddenly had marital problems after we came back. And those marital problems lasted my entire time at home. And my dad was gone a lot. He had a business in Canada. We lived in Michigan. And I only saw my dad on the weekends. And when he would show up, he and mom would fight, and then he would leave and go back to his business. I got to the place where I resented and hated it when my dad came home because all the rules changed, but he didn't engage. A time when I needed a father in my life, he wasn't there. And so there was like a lot of emotional pain and anxiety. Besides that, even though I grew up in one of the most primitive places in the world with headhunters, I have never experienced such a brutal culture than I did there in that little blue-collar town in Michigan. Fighting and being beat up. I was in so many fights and I was on the receiving ends of, uh, end of being the, <laughs> the one that got beat up. And so my self-image, my, my sense of, of you know, what it means to have an identity was so poor. On top of that, spiritual abuse as well because I grew up in a theology that says you can lose your salvation when you sin. Now, if you can lose your salvation when you sin, I don't know how many of us are going to make it home safe if we're in a car wreck and die. And I was convinced because of all the other stuff that was going on in my life entering into adolescence, I was sure I was going to go to hell. Just the idea of not sinning would cause me to think about sin. And so I thought there's just no hope for me. So I had this huge mental storm going on in my life. And one of the results of it was I developed a Tourette-like kind of tics, especially in my, my younger years. And then I learned to control them. I still struggle a bit with them from time to time, but... But it was, it, was like the out, it was like the manifestation of trying to keep it all together. What's amazing is I never hated God for any of this. Never. I believe that God hated me, though. Because look how awful I was and how I couldn't 
keep the cheese on the cracker, so to speak, how I just couldn't you know, keep the water in the bowl. I just kept slopping everywhere. I kept messing up. So I had a very poor sense of my identity and my self-image. Somehow I managed to get through high school. Um, somehow, and, and I just kept it all bottled up. I made it to Bible college of all places. And I met this beautiful Norwegian blonde, my wife, Marcia. And God used my wife as this arm of grace into my life because she's the first person that ever, I felt like, really loved me and liked me. And I could see Christ in her life. I could see her truly living by the truth. I could see what I just was having such a hard time finding modeled before me and anybody else. And God used her to transform my life. I would not be here today if God had not brought her into my life. And so, you know, I got so excited about her. I asked her to marry me when I was like 18 years old. She was 12. But anyway, uh, so at, at 19, we got married. We've been married 44 years. And I tell you what, it's not been easy for her to live with somebody like me with all that stuff going on. But God used her as an anchor in my life, number one. Number two, God allowed me to have a nervous breakdown at the age of 35. I'll never forget it. I thought I was having a heart attack, thought I was going to die. Went into the doctor, got checked out. The doctor said, physically, you're in great shape. He says, I want you to go to the fourth floor. This is Kaiser Permanente in California. And I'm thinking, please, not the fourth floor. That's where crazy people are sent. I'm not crazy. So I had to go to the fourth floor, and I said, I'm not going to do it. I just can't. I'm a pastor. I just can't. I can't deal with that. I can't. I don't have a psychological problem. I have a minor in counseling, for crying out loud. I'm okay. So he said, well, go to, go to the stress clinic. I said, I can do that, all right? So I signed up. It was October, and the first opening was not until February, and I thought, I won't make it till then. A lot of stressed out people in California. Anyway, uh, finally... Finally, I decided to go see a personal friend, a counselor, and we arranged it. I talk about my book. It's kind of funny. You know, I had all these excuses that if I saw somebody from the church that I recommended to go see her, I had this whole thing I would say so as they wouldn't think that their pastor had an issue, right? So I go in and see her. I make a long story short because I'm running out of time. It, it just, like, my whole life got unzipped and all this stuff came flooding out. And as painful and as awful as it was, it was the beginning of healing for me. Fast forward, uh, we went to Pastor Church in Chicago. I'm, I'm, I'm not a church planner. Um, the way God's used us is I go into churches that are struggling and help them kind of get going again and get them in a good place. That's just how God's wired me. And then hand them on to someone who can take them even further. So we go to Chicago, and I'm still struggling with some mental issues. My daughter, who has her degree, uh, her master's in, in uh, social work and counseling, says, Dad, you need to go to the fourth floor. <laughs> I, so I said, okay, I'll go see somebody. By God's grace, I went to a Christian counselor who specialized in what's called OCD. Anybody know what OCD is? Obsessive, compulsive. I don't like that word disorder, but that's the way it goes. And I found out that I, I have OCD and, and a pretty bad case of it. My OCD is not I got to touch something a million times, wash my hands continuously. And by the way, OCD is, is when you do things you don't want to do, but you can't seem to stop yourself. 
as a kid, I struggled with some of those things because I would have to make sure, because my dad was gone so much, we lived in a rough neighborhood, I would check the doorknob 25 times to make sure it was locked. And I knew it was locked. But it was like something in me that said, you have to do this. By grit and determination, I overcame that. But the thing I've struggled with my whole life is called uh, obtrusive, unwanted thoughts that come out of nowhere. I've struggled with that my whole life. And what Dr. Colley taught me is that it's an actual, real brain issue. There's something that's not working right in the brain, like the gears don't move forward on certain areas. And so he taught me ways to begin to change how I think. And what I began to realize is when those thoughts come my way, the worst thing I can do is fight those thoughts, because when you do, they get bigger and worse. You just have to retrain your brain to think a different way. Well, then I ended up going to Mayo Clinic and ended up in a program there for a year with a phenomenal physician and, and scientist. And he started talking about mindfulness. He was coming at it from a secular perspective, a spiritual one, but a spiritually secular perspective. And as I went to that process and learned how you can actually literally change the brain, I had this aha moment. My aha moment was, oh my goodness, you've got Christianity over here and the teachings of the scripture about the mind and truth. You've got science over here, and they shouldn't be separated. They should come together. And what scientists are learning about our minds and our brains, it works with what the scriptures say. If I were to combine the two together, I think it could be really helpful to myself and to others. And that's what happened as a result of that. I began to realize that, you know, what we oftentimes do in the church is we tell people, this is what you should be like. Then people try to be like that, and they get frustrated. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed about having the fruit of the Spirit in my life. More love, more joy, more peace, more patience, more kindness, my goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And then I walk away from that, and an hour later, I'm, I'm, I'm not doing it. I'm not joyful. I'm grumpy. I've said or done something I regret that I said or I did. It's because there's actually something you have to do as well. Now think about John 5. Remember that story when Jesus asked the lame man, do you want to be made well? Isn't that funny? If you saw somebody with a broken leg, would you ask them, do you want to be made well? Or do you want to, you want to lay there in pain and suffering? Why does he ask that? Listen, not everybody wants to be made well. You know, it's like I'm not a golfer, okay? Some of you are. But I know this much about golf. You can, you, can, you can develop a really bad swing. And it doesn't go where you want. The ball doesn't go where you want it to go. So you go to a coach, and the coach works with you to develop and to change your swing. And if you want to be a better golfer, you will retrain muscle memory. You will retrain your mind to swing in a new way with good results. The problem is, for a lot of golfers, is the old bad way feels like the good natural way. It just works for me. It's so natural to swing bad. It's like driving by a gym and hoping that by driving by the gym, you're going to get healthier and stronger. I wish that was true. I'd drive by it every day if that was the case. I got to go in the gym and work the machines. Same thing is true with, with the scriptures. I can't just read these things. I've got to do these things. I've got to put it into practice. And that is where I'm going to leave you today because the rest of the book that I wrote, and it's very thin, is about the practices of changing the mind. 
In that book, I tell you how to begin to focus differently. And the first thing I talk about focusing on is just how delighted God is with you. Because he is. He gave his son for you. I talk about attitude, how you can change your mind and therefore change your attitude. I talk about how to get the right sense of who you are, your identity in this world that's so confused about identity, how to think right about who you are, how to think right about faith, how to start a reset community. And, and I could speak for another three hours, I promise you I won't, all right, I'll stop now. But, you know, I, what I want to do is set you up to say there's a change you can make. And you don't have to get that book. And by the way, I made zero money. I'm in the hole with the dumb book, all right? Now somebody will chastise me for saying dumb. I'm sorry, all right? But I think it has a lot of truth in it. And, I, and I'd love for you to get a hold of it. And you can get it on Kindle or you can go to dalehummel.com. That's my name, .com. And you can order the book. And, and it'll be a blessing to you. I hope you'll practice it. I hope you'll experience a change of mind that only God can bring. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for just um, helping us today, Lord, to see what's wrong with our minds and our brains and it helps us certainly understand ourselves helps us understand others and perhaps show more grace and patience god um i also pray and ask that you would help us to not just sit there and go okay i know this help us now to do something with it and lord help us to begin to change our thinking to change our minds so we can experience as Chris will talk about next weekend the mind of Christ every day in our lives. Wouldn't that be sweet? To have a steady state of peace like Christ did. That can be for you and me. Amen.